God, I do thank You for, uh, for Your grace. Your grace is something that uh, though we cannot fully comprehend it, we do get to experience. You give us uh, not what we deserve, separation from You, but You bring us uh, up close and personal with You through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We give You praise and honor and thanks for the sacrifice of Your Son, for uh, death not being able to hold Him down, and that we have victory over death, and that our life begins here with our second birth, Lord. So Lord, I pray that we celebrate uh, Jesus. I pray that we're never about our fame or our kingdom or our purposes, but we're about Your fame, Your kingdom, Your purposes, Your glory declared to the ends of this earth. God, one of the things we see from front page to back page of the Scripture is You've always been about all nations. So Lord, I pray uh, as, as we as a community of believers in Jesus Christ gather Lord, we, we want to be about all nations. We want to be about the things that are dear to Your heart, Lord. So Lord, give us wisdom. Give us uh, grace. Give us understanding. Speak to us now as only You can. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright. I um, About ten years ago, I was working in a church and uh, me and a, a close friend of mine worked sort of as partners in a ministry. And we were looking for a, a speaker to come in um, to do some work with our senior high students. And we uh, began to talk to people in the community. Who do you know that would be good to come speak to some uh, senior high students? And we got the name of a man named Soup Campbell. We didn't know much about him. We knew that he was a bit, and uh, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. That's where I, I live. I'm actually from Kentucky originally, if may from Kentucky. But I live in Memphis, Tennessee for the past 12 years. And we had heard about Soup because he was a bit of an urban legend in Memphis. He worked in uh, some of the rougher communities in Memphis and uh, was known for having an effective ministry. So we invited him to come speak to our youth. As we heard him, uh, both our jaws dropped as we heard him teach and thought, I want to learn what this guy knows. Now for me, I was a guy who had uh, graduated seminary a few years earlier, uh, thought I knew some things and had been in ministry. And here was a man who was from inner city Memphis, never been to seminary, uh, never been formally trained in ministry, yet what he was teaching me, I was going, I've got to know that. So um, my friend and I, a friend named Kenan, he uh, began to call Soup. And he called, actually after Soup taught, he said, can can we get together? I'd love to just uh, figure out how you've learned what you know and and learn a little from you and, and spend some time with you and Soup said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm with my family. Why don't, you, why don't you call me later? Well, can I get your number? Just find it and call me later. <laughs> so, sure enough, uh, we hunted down his number. My buddy gave him a call and Soup said, well, listen, I, I've got a busy week. Why, can, can you just call me back next week and, uh, and we'll talk about it then? So, sure enough, calling back next week. He says, you know, I'm, I'm about to go out of the country for a couple of weeks. Could you call me next month? Now, at that point, I told uh, my friend, I said, I think he's just blowing us off. Uh, I think we can let this one go. He's busy. He doesn't want to meet with us. He doesn't want any time with us. And he said, no, no, no. He's a very, my friend's very persistent, much more so than I am. And he said, no, I'm going I'm to keep going. So we called him, and finally, we get to meet with him. Now, he just said, you know where my house is? And we said, no. He said, we'll find it. I said, all right, thanks. We'll, uh, we'll try to figure that one out. And he said, uh, be here tomorrow at 5. And I was like, all right, uh, uh, do we need to bring dinner or anything? He said, dinner? You can bring me breakfast. I said, be here at 5 a.m. So we get up, 5 a.m. And the thing that he told, remember him telling us was, I've heard about you, I know your reputation but I don't care about any of those things. All I care about is can you be faithful? Can you be faithful? And if you can, I can teach you to be a man of God. Now, I made this about 10 years ago. I was about 29 years old and I, I was thinking, man, in all the years I've followed Christ, I've never, ever had another man said, I can teach you, I can show you how to be a man of God. So each week, we'd come over to Soup's house 5 a.m. in the morning and meet with him for a couple hours. 
There was a small group of us. And then he would say, I don't want you to just come in a meeting and learning with me. I want you to get on my schedule. So Soup would hand us a schedule and say, call me up. Find a time when you can come hang with me and my wife, Miss Linda. Hang with me and my kids. I'd go on trips with Soup. And over time, I began to see the Christ in him and learn from him and be able to reproduce what he was doing. And some of what, most of what I'm going to teach you is, are things that, quite frankly, I learned by sitting with a man, watching him live this out, watching him flush it out in the lives of other people, and then saying, man, I want to do that in the lives of other people. So what we're talking about is um, some call it mentoring. I think that can be a, uh, an okay title for it. But truly, we're talking about Jesus' method for ministry, which is a lot like mentoring, but it goes much deeper than that. It's, it's what Jesus would call disciple-making. I think mentoring can be labeled a lot of things and catch a lot of things, but we're going to look at Jesus' standard here. Now, I remember one of the things that Shoots showed me early on, the Great Commission. Now, you all have heard the Great Commission, right? If you've been in church any time, you know Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm with you to the very end of the age. I remember one time Sue Pascas said, you know, and that's in Matthew chapter 28, verses uh, uh, 18 through 20. He said, pick out the verbs in that. And he said, okay. He said, now pick out, pick out the, the prominent action verbs. So we're like, how many are there? And he said, well, there's four. Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And he asked me, he said, how many of those are a command? Now if I ask you all, how many of those do you think are a command? One. One. Somebody's got it up here. Now we all were guessing. We were like, uh, I bet all of them are a command. <laughs> and uh, finally somebody said one. He's like, you're right. Which one's the command? And at that... We all said, go. Go is the command. And he goes, no, absolutely not. All right. And people guess other things like teach. No. No, not again, no. He said the only command, he said, in the Greek, the thing that carries the full force of the command is make disciples. The go feeds into that, but the thing that carries the entire gravity of the command is to make disciples. And I said, now who was, this, who was the Great Commission given to? I'm like, I guess the disciples. He said, yes. Not just the disciples that were there that day, but every single follower of Jesus Christ. So my question for us today is, does the Great Commission apply to you and I? Yes. Absolutely. None of us have this exempt thing where we can go, you know the Great Commission? I go to a church that's very uh, about the Great Commission and is excited to be about the Great Commission. Therefore, I'm about the Great Commission. Can I use that? Do you think on Judgment Day when I stand before God and go, God, I went to a Bible-believing church that you know, was about the Great Commission and I cheered it on and I was excited about it? I think God's going to say, did you personally take this commission on? It's not just to the church as a whole, but it's to each individual part of the church, each individual member that the Great Commission has given, that we're to be about making disciples. So when we look at that, we've got to define what a disciple is. And I want to go to one of the best, clearest passages when we talk about mentoring, disciple-making on this process. This is Paul. And if you've got your Bibles, flip open, 2 Timothy 2. 2. And the thing I love about Paul... Paul wrote 13 letters, right? Each of his letters narrow in scope. He does the opposite of what the church in America does. Here's what he does. He starts off and he writes to a region, Galatia. Most believe that was his first letter he wrote was to Galatia. It wasn't an individual church, but a collective groups of church in a region. And then after that, he writes to churches in Corinth and Thessalonica and Romans. And he narrows it down and down and down. And you know his last few letters or two? Not to churches, but to individuals, to people. 
You see, we usually do the opposite. We can start off with a person, but we're always going more, 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 more. And, and Paul narrows it down. And when he is in prison, in a dungeon-style prison, he knows it's the end of his life. Who does he write to? Timothy. Who is on his mind? It's Timothy. Who's on his heart? It's Timothy. It's not all these churches, though it is, but it's primarily this one man that he goes, I want to write to my primary disciple, a man named Timothy, to make sure that he understands that he has caught what I've told him, to encourage him. And when you read First and Second Timothy, especially Second Timothy, it is a deeply personal letter. You cannot write a letter like that unless you know a person intimately. Paul is telling Timothy, I know about the faith of your, your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice, and, and be encouraged and be strengthened. I know you're struggling. I know you're down. He's encouraging because Timothy's at this church in Ephesus that is just beating him down. And he's saying, be encouraged. Hold to what you've been taught. And here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, it says, And the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses... And trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. I think this is maybe the best verse on the strategy of disciple making, seeing it clearly in the Scriptures. What we see here, the, the, the things you've heard me say in the present many witnesses, and trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others. question is, first off, when it says the things that you, who's he speaking to? Timothy, that's right. And he says the things that you, Timothy, have heard from who? Me. And the me is obviously Paul. So there's a connection here between these two men. Paul and Timothy. Paul is speaking to Timothy. Now, we look at this letter. It's called Timothy. It's written to one man. But you've got to realize, Paul did not just see Timothy. He saw others through Timothy. Because he said, things that you've heard me, Paul, uh, things that you, Timothy, have heard me, Paul, say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to who? Notice he doesn't say, you know, just entrust it to anybody. Faithful men. And, and uh, this is a, a gender-neutral word for men in the Greek. And he's saying, entrust it to faithful men. People who are going to be faithful with it. Not someone who's going to hear it and go, oh, that sounded good and do nothing with it, but people who will be faithful to carry it out because why? What will happen? They will be qualified to teach others. And the others is in a... Is in a form in the Greek that it carries on and on and on and on. It doesn't just stop with those others. This is a multi-generational thing. Right here in this verse, we see four generations. Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men, to others. Paul had never met many of those others that Timothy's life would impact. But he's encouraging Timothy because he knows if Timothy grasp this. If Timothy understands this, his life is going to have tremendous impact. And Paul says the things that you have heard. Now, the interesting thing, what had Timothy heard from Paul? The word here encompasses more than just the idea of merely hearing audibly. It's an, it's an all-inclusive word. And I think Timothy heard much more from Paul. If you go to Second Timothy, if you're still there, Chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Let's look at some of those things that he heard from Paul. It reads, You, however, have followed my teachings, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecution, sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Now, let me ask that again. What had Timothy heard from Paul? What's the first thing he says he heard? You, however, know all about my... What? Yeah. He says, you know all about my teaching, my doctrine, what I believe. He tells Timothy... In chapter uh, 2, verse 13, he says, Hold to these teachings. Guard the solid truth that's been entrusted to you. Paul had taught Timothy what he believed. And any time you're going to invest in someone to disciple somebody, you want to teach them what the Word of God says. 
I don't ever want to say to people, hey, this is what I think and this is my opinion. Because ultimately opinions, they come and go. They don't matter a whole lot. What stands forever is the Word of God. And he says, hold the sound doctrine, the sound teaching. Teach that to them. Teach them the truth. Next thing he says is, what? My way of life, my conduct, how I lived. I would spend two hours with soup every Tuesday morning. He would teach me the Bible. And we would, he would say, take notes on this because I want you guys one day to take this and pass this on to somebody else. I want you always with your with thinking outward. How can God use my life to impact others? But then, I would come over to Soup's house and I would eat dinner with his family. I would go on trips with Soup. I've been out of the country four or five times with Soup. I've traveled with this man. I've seen how he handles situations. I've seen how he talks to his wife. I've seen how he corrects his children. I've seen his way of life. That doesn't come from just coming and hearing him teach on Tuesday mornings. I could hear his teaching every Tuesday morning, but what really brought that to life was seeing a man flesh it out. Seeing a man live out that lifestyle. The keys to discipling, to I'd say biblical mentoring, are these two things. Truth and life. You have to pass on truth in life. Here's what happens to most things that people call discipleship. It becomes a Bible study. And you come around and you study the Bible and we say it's discipleship. But what happens is, it's usually people coming, hearing truth, feeding on it, learning more and going away and setting on it. That's not God's standard of discipleship. You rarely see Jesus taking His guys and just taking moments to teach them. Say, hey, come over here. I'm going to teach you. We're going to have a Bible study. All of His teaching was done as He went, as they traveled. They learned from Jesus by watching Him, by spending time with Him. So the other key is life. You do have to impart to somebody the truth, but you have to give them life. They need to see someone who, though they're not perfect, they're seeking to be like Jesus, that has Jesus, in a sense, the Holy Spirit lives in us, Jesus with flesh on. That they see, I see the Christ in you. For me, that's one of the greatest accountabilities in my life. Is I know there are people that look and learn from me to be more like Christ, and I know how far I am from being like Christ. So, truth and life. If one of those things break down, a lot of times people will impart life to somebody, but never the truth. And it can become just a feel-good accountability session. How are you doing? Oh, let's pray for that. Let's think about that. But it never gets to the point of helping that person understand the deep truths of God. These are the two keys to biblical mentoring, biblical discipleship. Truth and life. Other thing it says he knew all about is what? His purpose. Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's purpose was not, hey, I'd like to have my name. I'd like to have the ApostlePaulMinistries.com where everybody knows that Apostle Paul is really doing effective ministry. And I want to write all these books. And I'm writing them so that they'll be on the national bestseller list. And so everybody goes, you heard about the Apostle Paul? And they'll have me in the spit. That wasn't what Paul is about. Paul said, my fame, my name's all about Jesus Christ. When people say the name Paul, I want them to think of Jesus. And that should be what our purpose in life is. When someone draws close to you, they'll see the subtleties of, are they really about Jesus? Or are they more about their own life and their own way? Another thing, he says his faith. He had seen Paul in difficult times, seen his faith, seen that when Paul had challenges, Paul didn't go, what am I going to do? How am I going to figure this out? He said, I'll trust God. I'll pray. God will bring me the answer. I'll have faith in God. Anybody that you get up close with, they're going to learn about your faith. What you really believe. I think that's one reason that in the church, uh, in large part, in many parts of the world, but especially in the West, why disciple making doesn't happen is because sometimes people are afraid to let somebody get up close to them and see uh, their life. It can be difficult. Patience. Paul said, he said, I want to go to Rome, but the Lord's prevented me from doing so. He says that in Romans. Paul had patience. He was patient and waited on the time of God. Disciples are going to see your patience. 
Uh, he sees his uh, love. Paul, just a verse earlier in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Timothy, my dear son. Now, Timothy wasn't Paul's son, but he loved him like he would love a son. If you invest your life in somebody like that, you're going to develop a deep love for that person. And when you develop a deep love for that person, you can speak truth into their life and they know you love them regardless. He knew this. And he loved him. Another thing, endurance. Man, did Paul endure? Had Paul been through it? Shipwrecked? He had been waiting for things. He endured hardship after hardship after hardship. The other thing he says that you know about me is my persecutions, sufferings. Now these two are alike but different. Here's what a persecution is. Somebody actively seeks to harm you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what a persecution is. So Paul had been beaten for his faith. Do you remember Paul was stoned and left for dead? Do you know in that area near Derb who lived there? Timothy. Do you think Timothy heard about this guy who had been stoned, left for dead? Some say he may have been dead. We don't know. But this guy gets up and what's he do? Man, I'd be running away. I'd be like, I'm alive. They just stole me. I'm out of here. Paul gets up and goes back. You think Timothy had heard about that? I guarantee you. Yet I guarantee that spread all over the region. This guy got stoned. They thought he was dead. He got back, came into the town and continued to preach. He had seen the persecutions Paul endured. Paul said, I've been uh, beaten with lashes 39 times. I've been shipwrecked. I've been on run from robbers, from bandits, from thieves. I've been cold. I've been hungry. I've been naked. All these things have happened. And yet I've kept going. He's been persecuted. Now, suffering. Suffering are those things that just happen in life. It doesn't mean it happens because you're a follower of Jesus. You all are medical professionals. You know that people get cancer and they'll die. They'll get cancer, they'll get diseases and suffer. Suffering isn't necessarily you suffer because you follow Jesus. Now, you can be persecuted and that persecution can equate to suffering because somebody beats you and you suffer from that. But, you can just suffer in life. Paul said this, I prayed to God three times to remove the thorn from my flesh. Did God ever remove that? Mm-mm. He suffered. In one of his letters, he says, I'm writing this with my own hands. See how big I'm writing? Why does he say that? He had bad eyesight. Paul couldn't see well. We know that Paul had sufferings of some sort in addition to his persecutions. Timothy had seen how Paul handled sufferings and persecutions. If you are going to follow the biblical model of disciple-making, the biblical model of mentoring, that, that biblical standard that we have set before us that we're all to be about. Someone is going to see how you handle the tragedies of life, the sufferings, the difficulties, the persecutions. And that's, you know, really, persecution is what we're promised as a follower of Christ. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity. It's more, come to Jesus and you get to suffer. We don't usually do that at the altar calls or come to Jesus moment. Come up here and and you'll get to suffer. But really, if you follow Jesus, you will suffer. Now here in the West, our suffering may look different from what it looks like for believers in other parts of the world. But if you are living for Christ, declaring His name, saying, I'm with Jesus, you'll, you'll suffer in some way, some shape, some form. And Paul says, You've seen my sufferings. The last thing, there's one other thing, and this is actually my favorite one. It's very hard to pick out that Paul says, you know about me, Timothy. He says, you know what kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And let me tell you why that's my favorite one. Because Paul isn't just saying, Timothy, you you know about my suffering, you know these things. He says, Timothy, do you remember when we were in Lystra? Do you remember what happened? We were together. These are specific incidences that they had together. Do you have those people that you can go, man, do you remember when we were together? When this happened, that you can just say the word and they're like, I remember it. That time that he had with him. This is what their life looked like. I believe this is sort of the, the, the when we say, hey, 
I'm following a biblical pattern for discipleship. We have to ask ourselves, do, does somebody know these things about me? And if we're saying, I want someone to invest in my life, we have to say, do I know these things about that person? Now, I'm going to get to some real practical ways on how we can do this in our culture and our context. But I think this is sort of a, a good checklist for us just to look at and go, man, does anybody know about my patients? Do they see that? Does anybody know how I've suffered? Is there anyone I can point to in life that I've invested in so deeply that they've learned truth? And here's the thing. You do not have to be a teacher, a gift to have the spiritual gift of teaching to teach somebody the truth. Just like, do you have to have the gift of evangelism to be an evangelist? We're all called to share our faith, right? If it was only people who said, you know, I, that had the gift of evangelism, a lot of us would go, man, I'm not very gifted at it. I don't have to do it. We're all called to do that work. I believe we're all called to be teaching people the truth that's in God's Word. It doesn't mean you're maybe a gifted teacher who's uh, called to be up front teaching and things, but you can teach someone over a cup of coffee, over uh, time in your, uh, in your house, time together, time driving in the car, time sitting across from them, time in a Bible study, time living life together, the truth of God's Word. You can do that. We're called to do that. We live in the, the most information-rich society on the face of the earth. You have access to the greatest teachers on earth with the click of a button. Anything you want access to, you can go and Google it and find that person. And you know, you got to be careful when you Google. You might end up with some crazy, undoctrinally sound stuff. But basically, you can find those people that you're like, I know that they're theologically sound and I can trust them. And you can, you can find those. There's no reason for us not to be able to depart truth to somebody else, especially in this day and time. Um, I want to get to just some ten how-tos. This isn't an all-inclusive list. Uh, There's other things that a person could do. Uh, This is just sort of a rundown of some of the things that if if you are going to invest in somebody, here's some things you need to be looking to do. And if if you're looking for someone to invest in you, here may be some of the things you want to receive from them. Now, I will tell you, some of you here are probably going, you know, I don't know if I, I, I want to invest in somebody quite yet. I need somebody to invest in me. And that may be your case. I always tell people, you know, if you go up to somebody and say, hey, would you disciple me or would you mentor me? A lot of times people freak out and go, I don't, I don't know how to do that. And they've been in the church or in whatever for 30, 40 years. They know more than anybody else. They just don't know what to do. Maybe you go up to a person and say, hey, I'd like to go have coffee with you. Come over. I've just got some questions. And just mind that person for what you want to learn from them. Sometimes going to a person and gleaning from them is you coaching them and saying, hey, tell me about how you've managed to stay married and have a beautiful marriage for 40 years. You know, what, 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 what's made you successful? And let them tell you those. Let them teach you those things. So, it doesn't always have to look like, man, I've got to find that person who's the master disciple. I, I was blessed to have a guy like Soup Campbell who knew, had done this for many men and knew how to walk me through it and help me experience it. You may not find that person in your life, but God wants you to become that person for somebody else. So you may find someone who can help impart that to you. Some how-tos. First, identify the right kind of person. That goes both ways. Look for a person. If you're going to have someone invest, you look at someone who you see since the Rome of Christ on, who you see that they, they live like Christ, that they pursue Christ. Someone who has maybe not only knowledge, but wisdom. Wisdom. And wisdom is really just a thing that comes from doing the basic things consistently over time. Consistently walking with Jesus. Consistently seeking to glorify His name. Consistently pursuing Him. That happening over time God will develop wisdom in a person if they're willing to be shaped and molded. That'll happen. So you've got to look for that right type of person. I've had people that I've spent lots of time with and they've went and done nothing with anything I've taught them, anything I've shared with them. They've went and actually some have said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go live how I want to do it, live. I don't want to follow Jesus. And that can be some of those heartbreaking thing ever. I remember one time Soup said to me, he said, yeah, don't carve in rotten wood. And by that he meant, 
we so often spend the majority of our time with the people that have the greatest need. And I'm not saying don't spend the people that have need. But he said we need to spend the majority of our time with the people who have the most potential for impact and invest in them deeply because then there's not one of us, but there's two of us. Those people can go and have a huge impact. Jesus, he had 12 disciples. Even one of his disciples was a rotten egg. You know, one of his disciples was rotten wood. For me, that's if Jesus had somebody that failed, man, that makes me feel better when I see somebody that's struggling. I'll still love that person. I'll still spend time with that person. But I'm going to invest bulk of my time in somebody who is being faithful. You know the prayers? Look at the prayers of Paul in Scripture. Do you know who Paul prays for mainly? His prayers are very different from ours. They're not like, pray for the people who are sick and are hurting and struggling. And I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for those. I'm just saying Paul's prayers are typically this. Pray for so-and-so, the people who are doing well, that they'll continue to run well, that they'll continue to be faithful. Because if those people continue, they're going to have impact for God's kingdom. I want those who are doing well not to get beaten down, not to get discouraged, to keep it up. So identify a right kind of person. Meet them where they are. Man, this is one that comes that, that can be different. You may meet someone who is a new believer, never stepped foot in a church. They couldn't tell you Abraham from Noah, from David, from Jesus, or they couldn't tell you what the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament is. You're going to start with one place with that person, right? And you may have a person that's been in church all their life, heard all the stories, went to Sunday school and cut out the velvet pictures of Jesus and put them on the wall and done all that stuff and they've just never really committed fully to living for Christ. And they come to you. Or you may have a person that comes to you that says, hey, I'm just, I, I've got a relationship that's about to fall apart. You've got to meet people where they are. Because you'll have people come to you in different places. And that's why when you look for someone, you may, at different stages of your life, go, man, I need somebody that can help me with this. For a lot of you being medical professionals, you may look and go, I need to find someone who is in the medical profession who is able to share their faith, do effective ministry, declare the gospel boldly and what they're doing. How do they do that? How can I go to that person and learn what they're doing? So... You want to meet a person where they are. Another thing, start small, raise the bar. I remember Soup, when we come over to his house, one of the things he said, he said, I want you all to begin to memorize some key verses of Scripture. And he didn't say, you know, necessarily want to do it in a legalistic sense, but he said, you know, I, I want you to hide God's Word in your heart. And he said, um, and this was just Soup's way of doing it. I don't think everybody needs to do it this way, but this is the way he did it. He said, for every word you miss on the verse next week, it's $20. And he's like, I'm going to go give that to a ministry here in town. I was like, all right. I remember one guy, a friend of ours, who we had invited to come. He came for about three weeks. He came, didn't have his verses. First week he laid down 20 bucks. Second week he laid down 20 bucks, And then he didn't come anymore. And... You know, for a lot of us, that, that sort of bothers us. Like, what? He ran a guy off? The guy didn't come anymore? Well, Soup was saying, I want to invest this in guys who are going to be faithful. Our society doesn't have many standards. We're trying. We lower the bar down to the lowest denominator. He said, I'm going to up it. And if this guy isn't ready for this, he can go find plenty of places that let him send a Bible study, let him learn. But if you want to learn from me, I want, to sh- I want you to show me that you're committed. So he had a way. He would... He would start small and he'd raise the bar slowly, 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 slowly over time and challenge us. Some weeks we'd show up and he'd say, Alright, remember what I taught you last week? This week you're teaching it. He'd point to one of the guys in our group and be like, Alright. He said, You better have good notes. Get up here and reteach me. And somebody get up and reteach? Yeah. Now, now I'm not saying it's a method everybody should follow, but I'm saying that's what he did. And for me, where I was, it was a pretty powerful thing. Be relational. This sounds basic. Uh, some of us aren't, uh, you know, we'd rather be around, you know, charts and computers and books and those sort of things than people. Hey, that's okay. God has made 
people introverts, extroverts, all sorts of different ways. Praise God He's done that. But at the same time, we need to be able to connect with someone, to relate to them. And the person you relate to may be the person that's a lot like you. You know, they love those things. God may have called you to reach that person. But be relational. Soup would always call it flowing. Soup, uh, he'd always say, I speak Ebonics. That's what Soup would always tell me. And he, uh, um, he'd always say, you got to come flow with me. Get on my schedule, come hang with me and flow with me. So we'd do it. We'd go hang with him. Remember one time we were walking through his neighborhood. He lived in an inner city neighborhood. He said, all right, you see that basketball court there? You see that one there? Okay, you go over there and you tell those guys about Jesus. You go over there and tell those guys about Jesus. I was like, oh, man. Can I leave? I really don't want to do that. But he challenged us. He stretched us. And that's uh, one of the things is teach. Another thing, teach for life change. You want to see people's lives change. So you, you evaluate where are they? How can I teach them to the point that their life begins to become transformed? That their lives begin to look different. That's what Jesus did. Jesus met his disciples right where they are. And you know a beautiful thing? In the Great Commission, when Jesus gives it, He says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then it ends at verse 20. You know, the disciples said, Hey, hey Jesus, uh, could you t- tell us how to make disciples? You said, We're to go make them. Now, you never told us how to do that. Would you tell us, please? Why don't they ask that question? Because for three and a half years, they had been discipled. And I'll tell you one of the amazing things. You go to the book of Acts. And you'll see Peter say the exact same words to heal somebody that Jesus said. It wasn't like he goes, you know, I, I'm not sure what to do here. I, I don't know what to do in this situation. What, what should I say? He just repeated what he heard Jesus say. Because he's been with Jesus so often in that situation. So it wasn't like he had to figure out, why was Peter willing to say, you know, hey, if, if you, got, you guys can kill us or let us go, we're not going to stop proclaiming Jesus. Because he had seen Jesus say, hey, my life, it's not about me. I hold my life open-handed. I live for the glory of God. And Peter said, if he can do it, I can do it. He modeled a lot of what he saw from Jesus. So we teach for life change. We, we build into a future leader. Now, I, what I mean by this is oftentimes discipleship stops and goes one generation. You invest in somebody. They say, thank you. You've taught me. I'm done. God's strategy was never mere addition. Listen to this. If, if you were to reach a thousand converts a day, a thousand converts a day, how long do you think it would take you to reach the whole world if we froze the population, which is at seven million now? Take you about 18,000 years. That's a thousand people a day. Now, you're, you're a pretty awesome soul winner, right? It'll take 18,000 years. I... I we don't have that type of time. But listen to this. If you build one person and disciple them, let's just say for one year, and you disciple that person, and then after one year, that person disciples another person, and you take another person, and that chain continues unbroke, and every year you take a new person, and the person you've discipled takes a new person, and their disciple takes a new person, do you know that you could reach the entire world in about 35 years? Now each time it breaks, it doubles. Go home and do the math on it. Jesus' strategy was multiplication. And the problem is, and, and also we're not talking about immature believers. One of the great problems around the world you, you travel is not that there aren't believers places, it's that they're all infants. They're all babies. They haven't matured to the point that they can help anybody else grow. 95% of pastors around the world have no training. No training whatsoever. Now, that should be convicting. Usually it's the guy who he's here and he's been faithful, you're the pastor. And he just steps up and tries to teach something. But he's never been discipled. He's had no, never had anybody train him. Sounds crazy. If if I have three boys, and if I brought, if we brought our baby home from the hospital and said, you know what? I know my wife. She's tired. She just gave birth to this baby. She's worn out. She's lost some sleep. Let's go on vacation. And leave the baby at home. Now you laugh because it's crazy, right? Well, what happened when we returned home from our week vacation? Dead. Dead. You got it. Doesn't take, uh, uh, you know, 
Well, we were doctors. If we don't, how would the baby dead, right? And I'd be rocket scientists, yeah. We'd be going to jail. Do you know that the church is often guilty of that? We see people come to Christ, and I, I think soul winning is that's the first stage, that's the most important thing, but oftentimes we'll take a baby Christian and just leave them there with nobody to help them grow from milk to meat. And that's what Paul talks about in First in Corinthians, help them grow from milk to meat. You all can help people do that. You all have some of the greatest entryways into people's lives. Medicine. You actually, I believe when it comes to the Islamic world, nobody can reach them better than the medical profession. Period. I, 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 I'm not a medical guy. I'm a, I'm a seminary guy who, who teaches. That's, that's what, I can't go into countries and go, hey, I'm here as a missionary. They're going to go, we don't allow missionaries here. But I know several people who have went in there and said, you know what, I'm a doctor. I'd like to meet the needs of your people. And they say, Come on in. And then they'll, they'll go and meet people and go into their homes and they'll say, come into our home. And they'll say, hey, I'm, have you ever heard about Jesus? And when you get a Muslim in their home, from everything I've talked with the medical professionals to do this, they will open up. But going out in the streets and talking with men going to work, you've got to get in their home. And who will they let in? Doctor. And a lot of times, it can be a, I know people that just go around teaching hygiene and do this. They'll teach... Wash your hands. Keep clean. Keep hygienic. It will keep diseases from spreading. Then go teach those things. Y'all have got a great entryway into places that still need to be reached. So you build a person not with that person in mind going, I'm building this person. You see them and go, how are they going to impact others? Jesus, throughout His ministry, increasingly focused on 12 men because He knew that they could reach the world. We wouldn't be here today if those 12 men had kept fishing, right? They went out and they made an impact and they died all over the world. Jesus during His ministry never left 90 miles of Jerusalem during His entire ministry. Yet we are halfway around the world today because of 12 men who were faithful to carry out that strategy on around the world. Another thing, you stretch them. I remember one time going to a conference with Soup. Soup was going to speak. As we were driving, he said, you know what? I want you to teach one of the sessions. And I was like, all right. You're going to be there in about two hours. <laughs> what you want me to teach on? He's like, what you got ready? I was like, all right. Stretch them. I mean, I was nervous. But yeah. And it may look different for different people. Don't hear me saying that that's what you got to do. It may look different in your life. One thing about discipleship, it's not always cookie cutter. It involves truth in life, always. But it's very organic. You meet people where they are. You help them develop and you help uh, them mature. Stretch them. Expose them to the faithful. One thing I realize is I'm too messed up. I can help a person be like Jesus to some extent, but sometimes I go, you know what? You want to learn this? Go talk to so-and-so. You want to learn this? Here, listen to this. Go talk to them. Meet them. I'm always exposing people to others who are living out the gospel because I don't want them to think I'm the end-all, be-all. I'm not. Discipleship's not about you're my disciple. It's about, hey, let me help you become more like Jesus Christ. And if that means me helping you see other people who are doing this, I want you to see them. I want to uh, help you know other people who live this way. Involvement in a local church. You need to be involved in a local body. Uh, Be a builder of curriculum. What do I mean by this? And take notes. When we go to church, most people sit in their churches and they just sit there and they walk out and they go, I like that sermon. I didn't like that sermon. The music was good. The music was bad. I'll tell you, over the past eight years, my paradigm has changed. When I go to church, I'm taking notes, and I'm thinking, I can teach this to so-and-so. I've got notes. Hey, I need to listen to this again. I'm going to go listen to this again when I get home, because they're going to put it on the line. I can listen to it online, and I can take notes, and I can pass this on to somebody else. Be a builder of curriculum. Curriculum won't disciple somebody. It's always involved with a person. But a lot of us need help with that. Um, Jesus' strategy is one of outward explosion. But you know what you know what Satan wants to do? He wants to take the Paul figure and get him distracted doing all sorts of things and never invest in another person. Think if you can help another uh, doctor. My, I'll tell you, my father-in-law, he's an orthodontist. 
And he has, every year, we live in Memphis, Tennessee, where the, where the medical dental school is, he disciples. He has about ten guys in a group. And he invests in those guys heavily. He takes some bike riding, he has them over for dinner. And those guys are out there doing some of the most effective ministry I've ever seen. And they spread out from all over the southeast from, from there. And why do they come? Oh, we're going to go to this orthodontist and hear from him. And then he teaches them the Bible. And then he spends time with them. By the time they're third year and fourth year and they're not so heavy in the books and they're more in the practitioner area, he's getting time with them all the time. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. You can take what you do and leverage it for the kingdom. But Satan wants to distract you and keep you from doing that. There's a picture of a guy who uh, heard about disciple making in India. His name is Edgar. And he said, God, allow me to reproduce. He invested in these seven men behind him for about three years. And after that, he let them go and said, you all go all over India. Five years later, he said, I want you to return and bring the guys that you've invested in and tell them to bring their guys. And this was the picture after about eight years of what his life looked like. One man investing in seven. And these aren't baby Christians. These aren't you know converts who said, we've come to Christ and we just... We're on milk. These are people who are maturing, making a difference. That's what his life looked like. The question for us is, what's going to be our lasting legacy? You all know it. You do medicine. Medicine's important. But ultimately, everybody you heal is going to what? They're going to die. Every person. That's, that's the great equalizer. What's eternal? I like the way you said it. <laughs> the only things we have access to that are eternal is the Word of God and the souls of people. What are you going to invest in? I want to show you a quick video. Uh, the ministry I work with is called Downline Ministries. And we're launching a... If you need some help with some curriculum material, what to teach somebody, I just want to show you this and then we're done. But I think this may help you. It's a thing we're very excited about. And uh, then we're finished. In the first century, Jesus changed the world by investing deeply in a few men. Then he charged his followers to go and make disciples of all nations. There was no Q&A after this great commission. They knew what he meant because they'd seen it in his life. Jesus' model of discipleship involved intentional investments of truth and life in the context of real relationships. Unfortunately, this kind of biblical discipleship has largely gone missing in the 21st century church. And Christians are in dire need of men and women to help them grow in spiritual maturity. And so Downline Ministries was created to help restore biblical discipleship in the church by equipping Christ followers to make disciples. We feel that one of the core principles for authentic discipleship is the ability to meet people where they are. Everyone is different, and gospel-centered discipleship must be rooted in relationship and context. So any discipleship curriculum that you choose to utilize must be personalized to the individual in order to be effective. The problem is most curriculum takes a one-size-fits-all approach. For example, let's say you're a middle-aged woman and you're approached by a younger woman at church who's a single mom with a full-time job and two kids. She's been a Christian for decades and is solid on biblical doctrine, but she's currently struggling with some personal issues and wants somebody to help walk her through this season of life. Because of her work schedule, she can only meet with you for the summer. Or you're a college student who's trying to invest in a group of high school athletes. Most of them are brand new believers struggling with their typical high school issues, and you'll be meeting with them for the next year. Would you recommend taking these people from different backgrounds with different needs and issues and different time commitments and handing them the same discipleship curriculum? We didn't think so. The only alternative is spending hundreds of dollars on stacks of curriculum for each individual. Not only is this expensive, but sifting through mountains of available material can be overwhelming. Ask yourself, is there any one resource in the world of discipleship curriculum that allows you to personalize, customize, and build your own curriculum as many times as you want, with as many different people or groups as you want, all while maintaining an emphasis on life-on-life relationships? There is now. It's called the Downline Builder, a customizable curriculum for biblical discipleship. It's a personalized, partnered approach to spiritual growth. This affordable online tool is simple. First, log in and tell us about your discipleship relationship, including how many sessions you want. After gathering specific information about your individual or group, 
We'll give you a blank table of contents and a list of suggested discipleship lessons. Second, you can then drag and drop your lessons into your own table of contents. You can use our suggestions or search for your own. Didn't find what you want? Let us know and we'll try to write it for you. During this step, you'll also fill in required life-on-life fields that appear after every two sessions. These will help keep the relationship real, not forced. After all, it's vital to spend quality time and build relationships with others. Finally, once you're finished building, you'll be able to download your own leader and student guides to print or send electronically to your group. You'll also be able to access the curriculum builder from your mobile device. That's it. With your subscription, you'll be able to do this as many times as you want for as many different people or groups as you want, as long as you have a subscription. Our prayer is that Downline Builder will be a useful tool for disciple makers worldwide. Downline Ministries. Equip. Unleash. Disciple. Alright, I'm not a salesman, so I'm not trying to sell you anything. But um, I know some people are looking for We get that question a lot. I've had the privilege of traveling the world teaching uh, discipleship. And a lot of times people say, what do I teach somebody? Uh, we're getting this translated into several languages so it can be used around the world. If you're interested, go check it out. I think a, your subscription right now between now and January is 30 bucks for the whole next year. Uh, it launches in January if you're interested. But I, I do pray uh, that you all would invest your life into other people. That you would mentor, disciple others to the point that your legacy is not just things you've done, but it's people who continue to make an impact. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that our lives would not be about our glory, our name, our fame, but yours. Lord, I believe each person in this room is here because that's what they want their life to be about. They don't want to look back and go, I built my own kingdom, I built my own fame. They go, I want my life to glorify the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Lord, we long for the day you return, but until that day, I pray that we would be about your work, your business. I thank you for people in the medical profession. What better way to to love somebody uh, with their physical needs and their hurts and their pains? What better opportunity to find avenues for sharing the greatest truth of all time? That you love us. You made us. You know us. You paid the price for us. You redeemed us. By the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray all this. And we pray for those who will be impacted by the people in this room. Amen.